The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 3. Brush the Summer By. Part 2. I'm not gonna lie, it was a relief when the guy next to me handed me that note. Reading the words, we're gonna play a game, was still kind of creepy on a teen scary movie level, but it definitely felt less culty than seeing a group of hooded figures standing on a beach with no other explanation. Games suck, but they also don't tend to get you sacrificed to a sea god. As I stood there looking around the circle, I realized that there was a lighthouse on the hill behind me. The light ran its course, circling back to us every few seconds, dousing us in something like a strobe effect. It made all of our movements look herky-jerky and honestly pretty creepy, but it was a lot better than not being able to see anything at all. I was all about small victories that night. The guy next to me, the game leader I guess, pulled a velvet pouch out of his oversized jacket pocket and began passing it around the circle. I watched as each person reached into the bag and pulled out a single egg-shaped object. None of them did anything with it. They just held the little things and passed the bag on. The lack of instructions was irritating to me on a principled level, but it was easy enough to figure out that I was supposed to do the same. I pulled an egg out of the velvet pouch. It only took me a minute to figure out that this was actually one of those stupid plastic Easter eggs you hide candy in. Only it had been bedazzled and encrusted with black and silver gems, to the point it was almost unrecognizable. I wondered if these details were supposed to make the game feel scary and sophisticated. They didn't. Not really. I watched the game leader take the last egg out of the pouch, and then tuck the pouch itself behind a log near the fire. He looked around the circle and gave a nod, and everyone turned and began walking away. I didn't move at first, mostly because I wasn't sure what we were supposed to do yet, so I stayed put and watched everyone else. After a moment, it became clear that everyone was taking measured steps away from the circle, while at the same time retaining their positions relative to one another. Basically, they were making the circle bigger. I turned and began walking too. The game leader was on one side of me and Lana on the other so I kept an eye on both of them as we walked generally toward the seagrass bluffs. Eventually they stopped, and I did too. We were probably about five yards away from each other now, but by the light of the occasional strobe from the lighthouse, I saw them crack their eggs open and empty the contents into their palms. I did the same. Behind me I could still hear the crackling of the bonfire as I cracked my egg open and let the contents drop down into my hands. My egg contained a slip of paper, wrapped around a small object. I unwound the paper and found a small clicker, the kind you use to train dogs. I turned it over in my hand, uncertain of what I was supposed to do with it. As the strobe light came around again, I noticed that there was print on the slip of paper. I turned it partway to take full advantage of the light from the moon and the light from the lighthouse. I was holding a list of game rules. That would make things significantly easier. 
I noticed the others were already moving off in different directions, which made me think they had all played before and knew exactly what they were doing. The rules were written with no frills and no explanation as to why they existed. At first it was just stuff like, no talking, ever. No lights, no phones. Then the list took on a more game-based flavor. You are not the monster, but someone else is. Walk around, shaking hands with everyone. If someone wiggles their finger, that means they are the monster, and you have to die dramatically after they walk away. You are now a ghost. Your job is to find the flag. If you find it, take it and run to the bonfire. If you are tagged by the monster, you become a ghost. If you are a ghost, you can still search for the flag. The instructions went on literally forever. I found myself wishing that they had simply explained them verbally so I wouldn't have to read through all of this in this poor lighting. Couldn't we just play poker for pretzels like normal college students? I read the rest of the rules and did my best to internalize them, then headed out to look for the flag. I passed by the game leader as I headed down toward the water. He shook my hand, but didn't wiggle his finger to indicate that he was the monster and that I should keel over and die soon. According to the rules, that didn't necessarily mean he wasn't the monster. The monster wasn't required to kill every time they shook someone's hand. A stiff east wind kicked up, driving bits of leaves and driftwood down toward the water. Maybe this would be kind of fun if I actually decided to put the effort in. I decided to find the physical boundaries of the game before I did anything else. Supposedly they were marked by caution tape, which supposedly you can buy at a hardware store for a couple bucks. From what I've heard, you can also buy crime scene tape online, which I think is kind of terrifying and also information that might come in handy someday. I like pranking people. Sue me. I found the first little flapping scrap of caution tape peeking out from the edge of the forest. From there, I followed the tape around the perimeter and found that we were actually playing in a fairly small area. It made all of it far less creepy, knowing that the space was quite confined and that no one was going to be able to sneak up on me from the woods or the cove beyond the curve of the beach. As far as scary games go, this wasn't. I mean, I guess it might be scary if you were still in middle school. It might be scary if you still thought Scooby-Doo was scary. Not actually scary. I started looking for the flag in something of a calm, methodical grid search, thinking that if I was going to get murdered on a beach by a monster who looked suspiciously like one of our local grocers, I could at least take advantage of the couple of minutes before said grocer found me. The rocks were slippery under my boots. I thought these things were going to have enough traction for my winter in the sand, but I had underestimated just how much algae and seaweed build up on tide pools off the shore. Overhead, the moon seemed to loom a little too close, like it was leaning in to watch what we were doing. I thought we must be a pretty boring show, all things considered. I finished searching that particular patch of tide pools and headed up the beach toward the softer, looser sand. There was a patch of seagrass up there that looked perfect for obscuring somebody's makeshift sock flag. Come to think of it, I didn't actually know what the flag looked like. I decided to assume it was a sock until proven wrong. 
As I walked, I saw a young woman walking toward me, intersecting with my path. At first, I thought she was reaching toward me for the obligatory handshake, so I reached out my hand, too. Instead, her hand fell short of mine, and she crumpled dramatically into the sand. She was really into it, too. Her arms flopped back and landed in a puddle, and her sleeves immediately began to draw up water. I started to warn her. Uh, you might want to watch out for... Then I shrugged and ultimately moved on. Who cares? Let her clothes soak up water. This is all starting to feel pretty dumb. Up ahead, I saw that someone had paused on the top of the hill and was looking down at us. I watched as the lighthouse beam came back around and illuminated the figure. It was Lana standing up there. I wondered if she might have been the one to kill this girl lying at my feet. She was the only other person around, so she did seem like a prime suspect. I started up the hill again, avoiding Lana as I did. Even though I was tired and kind of bored, my competitive spirit wouldn't let me simply walk up to Lana, shake her hand, and see what happened. Part of me wanted to win, or at least avoid embarrassing myself. I turned off and headed down toward the woods again. I could see Wendy, the produce lady at the grocery store, looking up at some of the low-hanging branches, probably looking for the flag. I joined her in the same general area and offered my hand to shake, since technically you are supposed to shake hands with everyone you encounter. I don't know if there's some sort of penalty if you refuse to do it, but I suppose there might be. You never know with weird college games. As I reached out to shake Wendy's hand, her eyes brimmed suddenly with some sort of evil glee, and I realized too late what was about to happen. She wiggled her finger against my palm. She had killed me, just like that, because I had fallen for her looking for the flag act. I should not be this dumb. The lack of sleep was definitely getting to me. I stifled a sigh and wandered off to die in peace while Wendy moved on, still grinning widely. I made a show of collapsing into a tree and then sliding down it, remaining partially upright so I didn't get my clothes too sandy. I was planning on wearing this hoodie again tomorrow, after all. The rules apparently allowed me to continue moving around and looking for the flag even after I was killed. I suspected this was because whoever had invented the game didn't want us to freeze to death on the beach after a little too much inactivity. Once I had finished playing dead, I got up and started walking toward the bluffs again. The hill was better lit than the rest of the beach because of the street lights just up the road. It reminded me of the light you get when you leave the TV on, a little too dim to be truly useful, but pretty good at making you feel safe and at ease. As I neared the top of the bluff, I noticed someone else sitting on a log overlooking the water. Even in the darkness, it was pretty obvious who it was. His sleeves alone stood out like road flares, even in the dark of night. In some ways, he was the most interesting person out here. For example, he seemed completely comfortable wearing that very loud hoodie to an otherwise almost solemnly serious event. They called this thing a game, but from what I had seen so far, it was as somber as the grave. I joined Sam. A cursory glance around the rocks revealed the reason he was sitting here in the first place. He had found the flag. Now, I guess I had found it too. 
It was tied around a patch of seagrass, like a bow around a bouquet of flowers. In fact, it was the shape of the bundle itself that drew my attention to the flag. Hey there, I said, sitting down on the end of the log. Hi. His voice sounded detached and distant. He was looking up at the stars, seemingly content to ignore his present situation entirely. I've met people like him, I think. People who find peace in looking up at the night sky. People who don't necessarily feel like they have to make small talk just because someone else is trying. I'm that kind of person. Or at least I want to be. Tonight, though, I found myself in the unusual position of actually wanting to talk. Maybe it's because the rules of the game said that I wasn't allowed to. So, did you come up with this nonsense? I asked. <laughs> Not in a million years. I like sleep way too much, he replied. So why are you down here? Eh, because Lana asked me to come. So you're saying that nobody would be mad if we just went and looked for some starfish instead of guarding this nonsense. I gestured toward the flag. No, that's not what I said at all. So you're saying we should go get waffles? He just sort of grunted and didn't say anything else. Fine. I went quiet and even turned to look at the stars myself. I have always thought that the stars are too still. When I dream about them, they aren't still, and when I see them in paintings, they definitely aren't still. Van Gogh knew they weren't still. That guy painted so much movement into his night skies that his canvases still make my head spin. But out here, under the January sky, all I saw were dead pinpricks of light in a stoic sky, and somehow that seemed depressing. My gaze followed the smattering of stars down to the horizon's waterline and down to burning rock. And that's when I saw movement in the one place I shouldn't have seen it. Silhouetted against the bleak stillness of the stars, I saw something extending from the rock, waving up like seagrass on a hill. Only it was far too large to be seagrass. The light from the lighthouse came around again, and I expected it to illuminate the shape fully. Instead, the shape disappeared in the blast of light in much the same way that fog reflects your headlights back to you and makes it impossible to see. By the time the light passed on, the strange shape above the rock was gone. Did you see something up on the rock? I asked, nodding toward the ocean. No, Sam said. Sometimes there are birds up there, I think. Even at night. I nodded, though there was no way in the universe that the thing I had just seen was a bird. Hey, let's go uh, get a snack, I said. I don't think anyone's open, Sam replied. No, come on. I know a place. October 2007 As I stand on the shore, watching the sun setting behind Burning Rock, I feel a familiar presence to my left. Remember when I talked about imaginary friends? Well, let me introduce you to mine. I can almost feel her standing there next to me, blocking part of the wind, looking out over the waves with me. Don't get me wrong. She still falls entirely in the category of imaginary. I'm not losing it. It's just that 
years of dreaming about the same person, years of thinking of her as a kind of sounding board within my own head, have made her seem more and more real. Sometimes I think I can almost see her. Today, I picture her standing there next to me, arms crossed, evaluating the ocean like she thinks it might turn on her. She does tend to be fairly paranoid about that sort of thing. She's wearing this super strange outfit that's mixing up all kinds of different time periods. There's the canvas-colored linen pants laced up with some kind of blue twine. But she's also wearing a backwards baseball cap and a denim jacket. Sometimes she wears a suit, sometimes it's a dark gray hoodie. It changes shape from time to time, probably depending on whatever TV show I'm currently fixating on. Sometimes her face even takes on a slightly different look. Her eyes are always the same though. They always start green and go gold and then rust brown near her pupil, and they have been exactly the same since the day my dreams invented her. And you can say what you want about me. You can tell me that my mind isn't sound. You can whisper behind my back that I've lost just a little too much and that it even makes sense I might lose my mind too. You know what? You might be right. But here we are. So, she says, you're still here. Yeah, of course I'm still here, I snap. Where else would I be? She shrugs and pretends to think about it, arms still folded. I don't know. Eh. Maybe you could just make a boat out of leaves and sail away. Make a boat out of leaves and sail away. It was a strange phrase, one she often used in my dreams. It had become something of a mantra to me over the years, an ideal to strive towards, maybe. She faded away, but her words remained. Sometimes I wonder if she's right. After all of this time, should I still be here? Is it time to move on? How would I do that, even if I wanted to? Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon. <laughs>